Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. So the first, first section in Ephesians chapter 4 is actually going to be verses 1 through 16, but even in this, we're going to break it down a little bit. We're not necessarily going to go into as much depth on like kind of each verse, just uh, more so um, being pressed for time. But in this first section, uh, verses 1 through 16, we see Paul is really calling for unity in the body of Christ. And we're going to read verses 1 through 6, starting out here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. Therefore, I, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul's talking about the unity of the body of Christ. There's one body. Now, let me ask you a question. If you had to guess, uh, how many different Christian denominations would you say are in the world, like worldwide? 235. Any other guesses? What'd you say? 50? So, it is estimated um, that there are anywhere between 30,000 and 45,000 different denominations worldwide. Um, In the United States, it's estimated there's about 200 in the United States. Now, to be fair, a lot of these are kind of subsects from like Methodist or Presbyterian or Baptist or Assemblies of God, and there's like different subsects, and they would kind of fall under an umbrella, but 200 in the U.S., how in the world can there be one body, one spirit? How can there be unity in Christ with that many different denominations. I want us to look at some different verses throughout the New Testament. So 1 Corinthians um, 16 or 6 verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Philippians 1, verse 27, only let your manner uh, of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And uh, this is Jesus in John chapter 17. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Man, if we were just to take a look at the visible church, um, it would be really easy for us to say that the church of Christ is fragmented, right? That it's, it's not one. It's divided, right? That there isn't one church. There's hundreds of churches, like God's word, obviously incorrect. We're not united. Um, I I went to a college in Springfield, Missouri, Central Bible College. Uh, It was a 
Pentecostal charismatic school. And every year we would play a football game. We didn't have a football team. Um, I don't know how we got away with this, like with insurance. Um, but it was weird as a flag football game, but they would give us pads. And so, I, you know, um, I got a few penalties for roughing, whatever, like tackling. I'm like, you can't put me in pads and not expect me to tackle somebody. But we would play the Baptist Bible College across town, right? Our rivals. And uh, we wanted to beat them so bad. And it, and it just seems that there is division among the body. But we need to understand something as we're looking at this. Um, even in the New Testament, the church in Ephesus looked different than the church in Galatia, looked different than the church in Corinth, looked different than the church in Philippi, right? There was, there was some differences there. They weren't identical. Um, and, and it's not specifically that the visible church that we're talking about here, right? That it's, Paul, Paul mentions the oneness, the unity that's found in Christ. So he's got to be talking about something bigger than what we see. Um, I think what he's, what he's primarily referring to is, is more so the, the, ind- the invisible church, the universal church, if you will, um, that's made up of everyone who's united um, to Christ through faith. Um, that we've got local churches are, are going to vary in their expression of worship and, and some of their um, doctrinal statements, which um, they're real, and we can't ignore those, right? We, we have to be able to discern the Word of God and distinguish right from almost right. Um, as, as Charles Spurgeon said, there's a, there's a, that's a key difference there, that, we, that there's some churches that are right, that, you know, the Baptist Church or Anthem Church or Life Church or whatever, you know, so we've got these different churches here, and there's churches that are right, but then there's churches that are almost right, and we've got to have the Holy Spirit to help us discern those differences. Um, and a lot of those differences are, are minor. They're not um, what we call salvific, right? Some, some will vary on baptism, or some will vary on the Lord's Supper, or some will vary on, um, you know, the, the, uh, the evidence of the Holy Spirit, or, or whatever it looks like. But those who are united in faith to Christ belong to the invisible, when I say universal church, I just mean the overall church of Christ, not, not the universal that everyone in the entire world is going to be saved, but just the, the universal, the one church that Paul is talking about um, right here. And we, and we talked about this a few weeks ago. We talked about it a few minutes ago, um, that, that even in the visible church, foundations church, whatever other churches are around here, that the visible church is going to consist of, of sheep and goats. It's going to consist of wheat and tares, that even people that are, would say, hey, I'm a member of Foundations Church, aren't a member of the body of Christ, the, the actual body of Christ. Like you talk about um, where you're saying some people will say, I'm saved, but they're not, they're not living it out. Um, and so, so those who possess faith um, are, po- are part of the body of Christ. Um, just because you um, confess it or profess it doesn't mean you possess it. And, and so ultimately those who have been elected, those who've been regenerated, justified, adopted, sanctified, and ultimately glorified in Christ is the one body, the one spirit, right? They are the church that, that Paul is talking about here. Uh, and so it's, it's easy for us to look at what we see with our eyes as we're driving down. We see church after church after church after church, and Church of Christ, Church of the Nazarene, First Baptist, Second Baptist, what, hap- what happened there, right? Um, and we see this, and it's easy to think that the body is divided but Alan mentioned it last week. I think I mentioned it, and we talked about Ephesians chapter 2, 
that there's no um, second-class citizen when it comes to the body of Christ, that we're all God's children. And so those who are God's children are coming together. They are one. They are united in Christ. And so Paul goes on. He says there's one body operating in the power of one spirit, all hoping for the same thing, which Paul addresses in Ephesians chapter 1, where he says this, so that we that we who were the first to hope in Christ uh, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you were also, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, the good news, the gospel, good news of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. What are we hoping for? That inheritance that we acquire um, when we when we ultimately um, see Christ in, in heaven. Um, he says there's one hope, there's one Lord. Um, get ahead of myself. In Acts chapter 4.12, there's salvation found in no one else. Um, there is no other name under heaven given among which men must be saved. There's one Lord. There's one faith. We look at um, in Jude 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write about our common salvation, our common faith, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. There's one baptism that after conversion, believers are called to be baptized to make this public confession of faith. This was a big deal in the ancient world, like we've lost the significance of it. Um, we talk about like in the Roman, when the Roman Empire was ruling, that it was, it was Caesar is Lord, right? That, that um, Kaiser is curious, I think is, is what it was. But then you go from Kaiser to Christ is Lord, that you are, there's, there's a cost that's associated with it. And so saying it's one thing, but then when you actually get baptized and you say Jesus is Lord, that there is this immediate cost that we've lost um, here. And so that's why, you know, I get really like kind of frustrated, you know, when we see people raise their hands and, and they pray a prayer, and I'm like, got to get baptized. Like you've got to let people know that you are now, why? So the church can hold you accountable. So the body can hold you accountable. So the body can encourage you and build you up. Um, and we just have lost that cost to follow Christ that was very evident in the ancient world to say, hey, no, 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 it's, I'm, I'm, Caesar isn't number one, Christ is. Um, and so Paul says there's one baptism. Um, and then he goes on to say that there's one God, which was established early on in the Old Testament, carried on through the New Testament, Deuteronomy 4.35. To you, it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Um, Deuteronomy 6, 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So Paul's saying there's unity, there's cohesiveness in the body. Um, God's not divided, but, but that doesn't mean that the oneness means a lack of diversity in the body. And this is where Paul goes into verse seven. Um, he says in, in verse seven, he says, but, and that word, but could literally mean be like, on the other hand. So there's one body, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one spirit, on the other hand, there's still diversity, that God still gives people gifts um, to build up the church, right? There's diversity among the saints. We look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 through 16, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and when he, he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions um, on earth? Uh, he descended. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, 
the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So there is, there is diversity in the body. And this is, this is uh, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 12. Um, again, that there is, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of a body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Think about your own body, right? You've, like, together it works. Together it, it's happening. Like, this morning I was, like, running and and. Um, my legs are moving, my arms are moving, uh, my lungs are breathing, my heart is beating, like the muscles, the joints, the cardiovascular system, the nervous are all working together in unison. If I was just one big lung, like I wouldn't go anywhere. If I was one giant leg, right, there wouldn't be anything to push the oxygen through. But when it's all together, it's working together. It's one body, but there's different parts in that one body. And each body part is using, is moving and working um, so that the rest of the body is healthy. That if my heart gives out, bad news for the rest of my body. If my knee gives out, that's going to be tough for me to walk efficiently and effectively like I'm supposed to. And this is what Paul is saying, that there is one body, but each member of that body plays a different role. And I love what he says in verse 15. Um, he says that it's joined together and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, Catch that when each part, not when 75% of the parts, when each part of the body is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Um, man, and that's the call for the church. We talked about the invisible universal church, but it also applies um, kind of in a microcosm to the, to the local church, right? That you belong to a local body of believers um, and that, it, it's hard for me if I were just to look in the universal church, the grand scheme of things, of what exactly my role is and every believer that's like, right, there's that commonality that we're all unified in Christ. But where do my gifts work? Where do your gifts work? Well, they're worked out in the local body, right? So that in your local body of community, your local body of believers, that you are playing your part. Why? So the rest of the body is healthy. Paul goes on to talk about a few, um, a few roles. And this isn't a comprehensive list. He talks about it again in Corinthians um, and some other places. But since we're in Ephesians, we'll talk about it. He talks about apostles. Um, now, there is a difference between the New Testament apostles and um, apostles today. Um, if we want to put the New Testament, we're capital A apostles, right? The apostle Paul, um, the apostle Peter. Um, they, were, they were ones who were empowered by Christ. Their, their office was ordained by Christ. 
Um, they had a close connection with Christ. Um, but an apostle is a delegate. It's someone who has authority to speak on behalf of the king. It's basically the, the actual definition um, is a sent one, right? Someone who is sent, given orders. Um, their role in the local church um, was to give messages that were general, that were more doctrinal in nature. Um, today, you know, we don't have that same um, calling, calling is probably a bad word, um, the same qualifications that like Paul did, for example. However, we're still lowercase apostles where we are still um, given the, the authority to go, to be sent with the message of Christ. Um, and then he, he talks about prophets. Again, in Ephesians 2, Paul tells us that the church was built on the foundation of the, of the apostles and prophets with Christ being the chief cornerstone. Um, and so the, the, the prophets seemed to be more for the local congregation, that they, um, they spoke for God, but they didn't necessarily give like, necessarily a newly like, revealed message. Um, anytime someone tells me, hey, I'm a prophet, my, I kind of get you know, a little skeptical and kind of squinty eyes because Deuteronomy 18 says, man, if you're not, if you're not 100%, sorry about you. Like, don't pay him any attention, right? Because if someone says, God told me, and then it doesn't come true, well, then God didn't tell you because God's not a liar. However, there is a difference between someone saying, I am a prophet, and someone having the gift of prophecy. I've had people who would never claim they're a prophet who have spoken a word of prophecy over my life um, that's come to pass. And it's like, Michael, I feel like when I was 13, I had somebody say, hey, I see you, you know, and, and like preaching in front of hundreds and thousands, not hundreds of thousands, but hundreds and thousands of people and as a 13-year-old, I'm like, that's crazy. But then I look back and I'm like, he wasn't wrong. Like, I've had that opportunity to be able to preach before hundreds and before thousands. And it's like, it's crazy. I had somebody tell my wife. When we were struggling to have kids. He told her, hey, you're going to be a great mom. And he didn't know. He didn't know our story. He didn't know that we were struggling. And it was like, like she's had, she has health complications and things like that. And so he didn't know. Um, and so there's a difference between someone saying, hey, I'm a prophet, and then working in the gift of prophecy, if that makes sense. Um, and we see that uh, in, in the New Testament time, a lot of their, uh, their role um, was to give messages that were more personal and practical. Maybe you've had a similar situation where someone has spoken something over you, and they've just kind of read your mail, and you're like, oof, yep, that was God. Um, we see that Paul, kind of when he was operating locally in the church of Antioch in Acts chapter 13, that he was listed as a teacher and a prophet. But then he was picked out with Barnabas to be sent to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, we go on and he sees this list of evangelists. Someone who goes out and pre preaches and proclaims the good news of salvation. So it's not necessarily like these deep theological truths, but it's someone who goes and reaches unreached people groups for Jesus, I'm um, proclaiming salvation by grace through faith in the Son of God. Then we get to this uh, combination of shepherds, which is literally the word pastor, right? So if he's like Pastor Justin, Pastor Michael, really it's like a shepherd that they are kind of overseeing a specific assembly or, or, or gathering of believers. That their call is to feed, um, to protect, to care for the flock that God has entrusted them with. Uh, and so that's, that's the call of a pastor is to feed the sheep that God has entrusted them with. And there are some people that would say uh, shepherds and teachers or pastors and teachers kind of go hand in hand. That's not necessarily the way it's worded here in the Greek. However, we see some evidence of that in 1 Timothy where it's like um, pastors are teachers, right? 
Um, so it's not, they're not necessarily mutually exclusive, but in the, in the broad sense, right, pastors should be teaching you the word of God, should be feeding you the word of God. Why? So that you're growing in grace and knowledge of who God is. And so uh, a teacher is just someone who um, undertakes the work of teaching with, a, with the assistance of the Holy Spirit. And so these are the roles, um, the gifts that Paul is saying, hey, this isn't one man fulfilling all this, but it is um, the different parts of the body all working in unison. Why? So the body is healthy and strong. Then we get to this next appeal, or this next section, verse 17 through 24, and we're, we're wrapping up. We don't have a ton. That was the biggest section there, um, the first, first little bit. Where Paul's talking about this, and in verse 17, he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, standing alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as a truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through, and it, and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in, his, in true righteousness and holiness. So um, it was common during the era of Paul, and it's still common today, that a lot of people will be like, you know, I just, I'm, I'm too smart for that. I've studied too much. I've, I've read too much. You know, I've, uh, I've watched too many YouTube videos to really believe that, that God is real, right? That it's, that it's like the Nacho Libre, like I, I believe in science. And they just kind of put off, um, that. And this is what Paul is saying. Hey, don't live as the Gentiles. That it's not, it's not that they're not brilliant people. Like he's not denying their intelligence, but what he's saying is what they're hanging their hat on is futile, right? It's, it's, it's worthless. It's meaningless. It's not, it, they're missing it. And it's, it's their, their own pride and arrogance and what they know has caused their hearts to grow hard. Um, and then he kind of gives a little bit of a, a list of, of how they behave. Um, they've given themselves over to these acts of the flesh, and we see similar lists in Romans 1, Galatians 5, Ephesians 2, 2 Timothy 3, where it sees, you know, um, we talked about it on Sunday, that there are these, these works of the flesh. Um, and this is just kind of another little mini list that he gives. But then he says this, and, and he, he starts out verse 7, um, but says this, now I say this and I testify in the Lord. This word testify um, is the Greek word, um, Martuo Roma, Martuo Roma, which means it's a very somber appeal. Right? I am coming before you urgently pleading on behalf of the Lord. And what's he saying? Don't live like that. That's not what you learned in Christ. Um, instead, do this. Don't live this way. Remember, we talked about the first three books of Ephesians are very theological. The last three books, four, five, and six, are more practical. And so he's saying the, the Gentiles live this way, that's not you anymore. That's not what you learned in Christ. He says you put off your old self. It really means to take off something. But remember what we said earlier, there's no neutrality when it comes to the spiritual world. So it's not like you're just taking off your old self, but you're putting on something else, right? So you put off your old self, which belongs um, to the former manner you, you lived through deceitful desires and put on your new self. And again, this word new is used a few times by Paul. Um, he uses it in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new 
creation, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. This isn't like me getting a new truck, right? If I get a new truck, it has a new engine, less miles, new transmission, got that new car smell, but it's still a truck. What Paul is talking about here, it's something totally different, something completely different, right? Unique. It's, it's, it's unlike anything else. Paul uses this word new to describe the new covenant that Christ has established with us, the new man that's in Christ. And so how is it possible to become something unlike anything else? Well, what's unlike anything else? God, right? And this is what the new man is like. It's righteous and holy, something that was totally different, unlike what we were before, that we're not putting on something of this world, right? As Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John chapter three, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, um, unless one is born again, the Greek also says if born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God, that we take off this old, filthy, sinful self and we cast it aside. And then we don't just stay where we are, but we put on a new man, something totally different, totally unique, unlike anything else that we put on the righteousness of Christ, causing us to conform us in the image of Christ. And then Paul wraps up um, this chapter with this very practical application. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 through 32. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. I'm trying to see here. There we go. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. In these last seven verses, Paul's giving us a very, very practical way to live. Again, you can see this putting away idea, right? Putting away um, falsehoods. So he's saying, hey, stop lying to each other and treat one another um, like human beings, right? That we are neighbors, that we are neighbors. It's, and he's not even just talking about like a community of believers here, right? He's saying that we treat everyone as neighbors, we treat one another um, with neighbors. We, we speak truth. Um, he goes on to say, um, be angry and do not sin. I thought anger was a sin, right? Well, there's a difference. I mean, Jesus got angry when he cleared the temple. There is a, there's such thing as a righteous anger, a righteous indignation. When we see injustices, when we see God's name being slandered and dragged through the mud, um, that we see God's name being defamed, that we can get angry and still not sin. Um, what he's saying is don't let that anger turn into bitterness. Don't let it turn into vengeance. Don't let it turn into pride, right? And that we, that we, we, um, we snuff it out before it, it bubbles up into that, right? That we make sure that that righteous anger stays a righteous anger and doesn't turn into a sinful anger. Doesn't turn into this, oh man, I'm going to get even with them, but it's more so vengeance is of the Lord. I'm angry at the injustice, and I'm going to address it, but I'm not going to get bitter and prideful and vengeance. And then I want us to look at the change that happens in verse 28, because it's really interesting. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him what? Let him labor. Let him work. Doing the opposite of what thieves do, but not even that, 
going so much as to work that he has enough to share. That it's not just a change in habit, but it's a change in thought and character. You see the difference? It's like, okay, I could stop stealing and start working, but what shows a true change in heart is where I go from out of my abundance, giving it away and sharing with others when I used to take. It's just an interesting um, transition or, or change there in that. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. What do you think of when you think of the word corrupt? Swear words? What'd you say? Lying? <laughs> Anything else? The Greek language isn't even that aggressive as swear words or lying. It literally means anything of poor quality or worthless. Right? A lot of times we're like, oh, the bar is here. And it's like, really? It's kind of down here. Just like, it's just anything that doesn't carry value. Right? It's, it's not even calling someone, like, insulting someone's mother. It's just, like, it doesn't even have to be, it's just of little value, of little to no worth, poor quality, unfit for use. And move to what? Move from corrupt speech, these, these words um, that are worthless, to words that have good quality, that are building up other people. And finally, 31 and 32, you've got these two, this contrast of two attitudes, or maybe an attitude in one person being transformed. Um, you have someone who's bitter, someone whose anger is lashing out, right? That's what wrath is when someone's anger lashes out. Um, you have just regular anger, anger that's bubbling up underneath the surface. Maybe you haven't acted out, but it's just that, you know, it's just more of an attitude um, where they're, they're shouting, they're mad, they're, their speech is damaging to someone's character, and they sound like a joy to be around. And he's saying, throw all that aside. Throw all that aside and become what? Become kind, compassionate, and forgiving as we have been forgiven. Just a total 180 total putting off of the old self and putting on the new, unlike anything else that's only available through Christ. Well, hey, man, we did it. 729, we got through all of chapter four. I think that's a record. Um, But hey, thanks for being here. Next week, we'll jump into Ephesians chapter five. Um, We love you guys. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you Sunday. And uh, again, if you want to sign up for our uh, newcomers lunch, you can do that online. We've got our marriage intensive happening Sunday night. Let me pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for your word. God, thank you that you have um, revealed yourself to us through your word. God, I pray that we would live in a manner that's worthy of the call you have placed on our life. God, that we would live um, in a way that we are putting off our old self and putting on your righteousness, your holiness, and all that we do. Father, we thank you. Pray that you would keep us safe. Bring us back next week. It's in Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv.